Back in the fall, Pastor Richard and I decided that we would, it would be helpful for us to jointly preach through the book. So we've been preaching through 1 Peter. Um, when, I, when, I chose, or when we chose 1 Peter, we didn't select on who would preach on what, but we did go through the book, and we read the book, and we marked it up into sections that we would take. So we have the sermons kind of planned out. And I remember thinking back then, um, okay, here's 1 Peter 3. Boy, I hope that Pastor Richard has to preach on the portion of submission in marriage. And I didn't think much about that again until this month. And uh, when I realized it had fallen on me, I knew that my dad's favorite saying was true, that youthful exuberance will always be overcome by old age and treachery. So thank you to Pastor Richard. Um, That being said, we will forge ahead this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, uh, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to cover verses 1 through 7. So I, like most of you, have probably uh, heard several sermons on marriage. I've heard some good sermons on marriage. I've heard some bad sermons on marriage. Typically, in a bad sermon on marriage, it fails in one of two ways. The, the most common pitfall I've seen in a bad sermon on marriage is a pastor standing up and failing to speak boldly to what the text clearly says. Uh, I remember one particular sermon, the, the pastor actually inverted the order of the scripture because he wanted to preach on the stuff addressing men uh, first, and then he just lightly touched on the stu- stuff addressing women. Um, and, and I found this like incredibly uh, weak and cowardly, this, this inverting of scripture, um, I, I understand the temptation, but um, it, it was not true to what the text said. Uh, the, the second way I've noticed it fail most commonly is it's disconnected from the gospel. Uh, it becomes a laundry list of do's and don'ts. It's, it's a spiritual checklist that you can work through to say, okay, here's how I have a good marriage. And it didn't stay true to the overarching text of what the Bible says, this, this redemption story from beginning to end, pointing to Jesus from beginning to end. And so it becomes a guilt trip or a self-help speech on what you can do to make your marriage better. And this is not what we need as God's people. We need to hear from God's word what God says. This morning, I I hope to avoid both of those pitfalls. Uh, On the first point, I think it's going to be particular. On the first pitfall, I think it's going to be particularly difficult uh, today. Um, Most of this passage uh, deals with the role of women in marriage. If you look at the New Testament, normally the marriage passages are fairly balanced, speaking to men, speaking to women. Uh, This one is asymmetric. It's it's speaking mostly to submission in marriage. And that has to do with the larger overarching argument that we see in 1 Peter, right? So when Pastor Richard preached last time on 1 Peter 2, it was speaking about submission. It was submission to government authorities. It was submission to earthly masters. And what we see here this morning comes directly on the heels of that. And so um, so it is not uh, your typical marriage passage like you see in Ephesians 5 or or Colossians 3. Um, The Bible does have as much or more to say to men, but uh, in in this text it's going to be asymmetric. Um, The the, the, the second pitfall... um, Speaking of the second pitfall, I, I want to remind you that our marriage covenants are sacred covenants before God, right? They are, they are not entered into lightly. And the Bible teaches 
that this marriage is the picture of Christ and the church. Our marriages should be a picture of the gospel, and we're going to get into that, but that means that this message necessarily needs to be tied to the gospel. It needs to be seen through that lens, through that worldview. And so uh, with that in our minds, uh, I want to make one clear statement that 1 Peter 3 addresses this morning. God has designed specific roles in marriage that adorn the gospel and bring him glory. God has designed specific roles in marriage that adorn the gospel and that bring him glory. This is the overarching theme that Peter is putting forward in our passage today. The first role that this passage addresses is the role of the wife. So in this text, we see a display of true biblical submission in marriage. We see biblical submission in marriage. Read along with me, starting in verse number one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of so so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's Uh, sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And if you are her children, if you do good, uh, and you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. This is the holy, inerrant, and sufficient word of God. These verses speak these verses speak mainly to Christian women who are in marriages uh, with an unbelieving man. Uh, while there is direct application to wives in this, in this situation, we see a broader application as well to wives uh, in marriage in general. Uh, we see in this passage um, a definition of biblical submission in the context of marriage. Uh, unfortunately, this is quite often misunderstood and misapplied It can be dangerous, and it can be harmful, and we want to be careful as we think through these verses. We want to see what submission is, and we'll see what submission is in this passage, but we also see several things in this passage that submission is not. Uh, Ligon Duncan was particularly helpful in thinking through some of these things that uh, biblical submission is not, and I, I think it would be helpful for us if we start by seeing this from the text. So, uh, so number one, then, uh, biblical submission is not. Biblical submission is um, uh, of the wife in the context of marriage is not the same as our Christian submission to Christ. It is not the same as our Christian submission to Christ. Let us be quite clear about this. Your husband is not Christ. This should come as no surprise to any of you, least of all my own wife. Your husband is not Christ. That type of submission is not what this is calling for. It's not the, the same exact all-encompassing, uh, all, uh, all-consuming submission to Christ that is the call of every Christian. Uh, as the church, we completely lay down our lives for Jesus. He has died as an atonement for sin. He is risen from the grave. He is sitting, ruling, and reigning at the right hand of God. He is the capital L Lord. He is the Lord of our lives, and therefore we pledge our undying loyalty to him. So when 
uh, we see this throughout the entirety of Scripture, and it is the foundation for passages like this. Jesus is the head of the church, and he is the one to whom our ultimate submission, all of us, our ultimate submission is to him. Your husband is not Jesus, and therefore your submission to him is not the same. Uh, it is not ultimate. Second, biblical submission of a wife does not mean that she should abandon her own thoughts and opinions. So think about this passage for a minute. Peter is addressing Christian women in this passage. He is not teaching these Christian women, or he is not teaching Christian men so they can go home and explain to their wives what submission is all about. He is he is talking directly to women. We have, we have talked about this before here, but this was very countercultural back then. Christian leaders uh, invited women uh, into, into, their, into their midst, and they would uh, allow them to come and learn in, uh, alongside of men. And um, this was not commonplace in the first century. Peter, just as we have seen with Paul and Jesus himself, elevates women to an equal footing with men. They have... Uh, affirming that they have equal value, and they address them as such. Peter, Peter does not call for the wife to blindly submit to every thought that her husband has, as if she cannot have independent thoughts or convictions of her own. The whole point of this passage, right, is necessarily that these uh, women have independent beliefs about the most important thing in life. These are Christian women with non-believing husbands. And he is not calling the wife to convert to the husband's pagan religion just so there can be order and submission in the home. He is, he is commending her for having independent faith, and he's telling her then, you should continue to serve the Lord your God. He goes on to outline how that's done, but, but, but keep in mind, this is not a call to intellectual dependence. All right, third, biblical submission of a wife does not mean that she should stop trying to influence her husband. She is not only called to have independent thought, but moreover, in verse 1, she is called to submit to her husband so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one to the Lord. He, he, is, he is telling these women that it is right and it is good for them to influence their husbands. And he goes on to unpack just how, how this should be done. And, and, and we'll get to that in a minute. But he, he is simultaneously calling for these women to submit to their husbands and act in a way that changes their mind, that changes their heart and their mind. Submission does not mean that your opinion should not be heard. It does not mean that your opinion isn't ultimately correct. A godly wife who cares about the eternity of her husband's soul will do everything she can to see that that man is one to the Lord. And Peter is helpful in just showing how that is accomplished. Fourth thing, biblical submission in this passage um, does not mean that she should give in to every demand from her husband. This especially rings true here, right? The women he is addressing are married to men who do not obey the word. Uh, I believe this is referring to unbelievers and not merely disobedient Christian men. Um, and, and we can stand pretty firmly in this assertion because uh, he, he refers to unbelievers in the exact same way in 1 Peter 2. Starting in verse 7, he says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they 
disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. We have, we have unbelief linked directly with disobedience. So when we see uh, disobedience in this passage, we see they are married to husbands who are not believers, who the wife is trying to win to become believers. Is Peter telling the wife, in this case, to obey every demand her husband makes? Obviously, the answer is no, right? She, she is not to succumb to his sinful lifestyle and his sinful choices. She is called to be someone else. She's called to be something else. Namely, she is a Christian. And as a Christian, she is to obey the law of Christ, first and foremost. Therefore, Christians, when your spouse is urging you to do something that violates the uh, commands of Christ, that violates your conscience or is in direct opposition to what the Scripture says, it is proper and it is good to say no. Right? If, if, I, if I were to advocate to Tracy that we should cheat on our taxes, she should tell me I'm stupid and say no, not agree to go along with it. If uh, that is the right response of a Christian, if, if I were to encourage my wife to stay home from church uh, because I didn't feel like getting up and going along, she should refuse and she should go anyway. That is what Christians do. Biblical submission does not give the husband the right to demand whatever he wants, and the wife should feel uh, obligated to sin. The wife in this text is not following her husband in the sin of unbelief, but rather she is biblically resisting this influence. Fifth thing it doesn't mean. Biblical submission of a wife does not mean that she cannot adorn herself externally in any way. All right, so let's, let's get into to some of the funner portion of the passage today. Uh, verse 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Abraham obeyed, uh, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. All right, the, the NASB is particularly helpful in this case uh, when it translates uh, these verses. It says, Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. Uh, the, the passage, this passage teaches that a wife should not focus primarily on outward adornment, but it does not forbid the usage of hairstyling or, or jewelry, and, and it can't possibly mean this. Uh, if it did, you would have to say it also forbids the usage of clothing, of wearing clothing. And obviously, that's exactly opposite of what this passage is teaching. So um, the, 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 the literal Greek translation yields a phrase that forbids the, quote, putting on of garments. So, so this should be obvious. It is not forbidding clothing oneself, right? It, it's the exact opposite. So therefore, it is speaking to the emphasis and the priority that we place on outward adornment. As a kid, I can remember uh, in the mid-80s, it was popular for a few families that we knew to go overboard with verses like these. The, the husbands in these particular cases were knuckleheads, and they would burden the women of their family with ridiculous commands. The women were not permitted to wear any makeup at all. They had long, straight hair that went down to the back of their thighs. They uh, had the worst collection of plain, wildly out-of-date dresses. Uh, the wives' consciences were burdened by these men that did not take the time to properly understand this passage. I, I, I felt terrible for the wives and daughters in these cases. Uh, the point is not to look pitiful, 
We are not to go out of our way to look homely, right? As if that makes us more spiritual. Uh, Rather, it is speaking to the heart. And as usual, this is a much higher command. This is a harder calling. This is harder than a legalistic checklist. Look at how it is compared and contrasted to the patriarchs in this passage. It says, rather than focusing on expensive jewelry or seductive clothing to make themselves attractive, they focused on what? The hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in God's sight. It's, it's a heart attitude of gentleness that accompanies a wife who hopes in God. Biblical submission is not a call to an Amish wardrobe, right? It is a call to a gentle heart. Sixth, biblical submission of a wife absolutely does not mean she is of lesser worth, lesser intelligence, or lesser emotional strength. We'll we'll get into this more when we unpack what Peter means by the weaker vessel in verse 7. Also one of the favorite verses I had to dig through this week. Thank you, Pastor Richard. Uh, But here are some of the things uh, it it absolutely does not mean. It does not mean that a wife is of lesser worth, right? In verse 7, both men and women are referred to as the heirs of of the the grace of life. And remember the beginning in Genesis 1. It says, And then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the air, and the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, created both in God's image, created both with equal worth before God. Men and women are uh, on the same plane when it comes to our relationship before God. We both have equal value. We already addressed that submission cannot mean that the wife is of lesser intelligence based on the fact that Peter is addressing Christian wives. Peter, Peter automatically assumes that women have capacity to learn hard truths, right? And, and submission does not mean here that they are emotionally inferior. Uh, are men and women different? Yes. Uh, are, do we react different in different circumstances? Yes. In some cases, do men tend to bottle up their feelings and hold things in, trying not to show a perceived weakness? I, I would say that's probably a pretty, st- uh, pretty accurate stereotype. Uh, but it could also be said that's an, uh, a sign that we're emotionally weaker. Uh, it takes a lot more strength to open up and expose uh, your true feelings to the world, to, um, to allow people in. In that sense, women could be considered emotionally stronger than men. Uh, biblical submission does not mean that the wife is considered inferior to men. Second, uh, seventh, biblical submission of a wife does not mean that she lives in fear of her husband. A godly wife uh, who is submitting to her husband is doing, out of, doing so out of a love for the Lord. She is not doing so out of fear for her husband. So in verse 6 it, it says, And you are Sarah's children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. A godly wife that is acting out her Christian faith will not fear her husband or bow to the demands of anything else in this world. She will fear the same things that all Christians are to fear. God, right? We, we, we do what we do because of who we serve, and this is no different once you're married. 
Finally, and, and, and this, needs to be, this needs to be said here, um, from this text, uh, we see that biblical submission of a wife to her husband is not a call for all women everywhere to submit to all men. Right? It is clear we are talking about women in a covenant relationship with a man, in a marriage relationship. It is, calling, it is not calling for single women to submit to a random man. It is not calling for married women to submit to somebody else's husband. It is not calling for my mom to submit to me, even though I thought so when I was like 14 years old. My wife is not called to submit to you, and you are not called to sacrificially have self-denying love for her. That is what the marriage covenant is about. We, we don't extrapolate these principles beyond where the Bible goes. All right, so that's what, that's what submission is not from this text. Now we want to see what submission is. We've established um, what it isn't. Now, according to these verses, uh, what is submission of a wife to her husband? I, I think it can be summed up from this text well. It is a predisposition of the heart to follow and affirm her husband's leadership with a gentle spirit as a response to her love for God. It is a predisposition of the heart to follow and affirm her husband's leadership with a gentle spirit as a response to her love for God. We, we see this worked out in this passage. First of all, we see that biblical submission is voluntary. Notice who he is addressing in verse 1. Again, it's women. Right? This is not clobber verses for men to hold over your wife's head. You must submit. This is something that he is addressing to women. He's not saying make sure you get your wives in line. He is saying this is how you behave as a wife. He addresses <coughs> women and he calls them to respectful and pure conduct. It is a voluntary submission that he is after. And this is the only type of submission that is ultimately honoring before God. So, so, so think about this a minute. And and before I get into the analogy, uh, side note, I am not equating the uh, submission of wives to husbands to the submission of children to their parents, right? Your wife is an adult woman. It is two completely different things. But stick with me for a minute because I think the analogy is helpful. When we ask our children to do something, right? When we say, pick up your room or go make some stew or mow the grass, we want them to obey, but we want them to do more than that, right? We want a willing spirit that does not just obey out of duty, but rather obeys out of love and respect for the parent. So likewise, when the Lord commands us to do something, when God commands us to do something from the Bible, we should voluntarily do this with a willing heart. We should be joyfully obedient to God. So, so whether God is telling us to love our enemy, or whether God is telling us to not gossip, or whether God is telling husbands to sacrificially love your wives or, or wives submit to your husbands, this should be done voluntarily out of uh, a heart that wants to serve our Lord. Secondly, and this goes along with the first point, we see the call to submission begins with the heart. The respectful and pure conduct is worked out by the internal adornment in the hidden person of the heart. Like, like everything in our Christian lives, our works are always the fruit. It is always the outworking of what is dictated, what, what we have already stored up in our heart. Remember back a few months ago when we went through 1 Samuel 16, and, and Samuel was selecting David. What did the Lord say to him? He said, 
The Lord sees not as man sees. The man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Your heart is what God changes. And therefore, this is where our focus should be. P- Peter is clear. He says, let not your adorning be the hidden per- let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. S- submission is not mere actions. It is uh, primarily a heart attitude, a-, a gentle disposition to follow her husband's leadership. Third, we see in this passage, the wife is uh, called in real and tangible ways to interact with her husband with a gentle spirit. She's called to interact with him with a gentle spirit. This is, this is the outworking of her heart attitude. In this passage, Peter is showing how this should work itself out in marriage when uh, the wife has become a believer, uh, but the husband is not following God. What, what does he call the wife to do? She is supposed to win him to the Lord, right? This is, this is about her, her, her actions winning him to the Lord. And, and how is she supposed to go about doing that? Is, is it about constant nagging and pounding and saying, this is what you need to do, this is how you need to change? Is she becoming burdensome to him? No, he, he is calling her to win him over with his actions. In, in this passage, it's clear, the, husband, the husbands have likely heard and rejected the gospel. They are, quote, not obedient to the word. So, so they've heard it, and they've said, no, this isn't for them. So, but, but this isn't the end of the story. Peter is, is calling the Christian wives of unbelievers to act in such a way that the effect of the gospel on their own lives is evident, and this becomes very attractive. God, God has set up marriage from beginning to end so that men and women have different roles. We see in other passages of Scripture, like Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, that women are to respect their husbands and follow their lead in the household, and men are to have self-sacrificial loves for their wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Our, uh, our church's own statement of faith affirms these biblical truths. In uh, Article 18 of the Baptist Faith, faith and Message 2000, it describes marriage in this way. It says, The husband and wife are of equal worth before God since they are both created in God's image. The marriage relationship models the way that God relates to his people. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He has the God-given responsibility to provide for her, to protect and to lead his family. A wife is to submit herself graciously to the servant leadership of her husband as the church willingly submits to the, uh, to the headship of Christ. She, being in the image of God, as is her husband, and thus equal to him, has the God-given responsibility to protect her and to serve as his helper in managing the household and nurturing the next generation. Peter commends Christians toward this end. He, he encourages them to have a heart to follow and affirm their husband's leadership with a gentle spirit. This does not mean that the wife isn't part of the team or doesn't get to help make decisions or discuss important matters with her husband with some robust back-and-forth dialogue. But in the end of the day, Peter is calling the husbands to lead in self-sacrificial, loving ways and for the wife to joyfully follow. Finally, all of this is done because the Christian wife, like Sarah, hopes in God. Verse 5, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves. All of this is rooted in our love for Jesus. His, his own words 
in uh, John 15 are clear when he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that, your joy may, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We do not merely conform outward actions, but, but all of this is done with a heart that loves God, that's been transformed by the gospel. Christ has given his life as an atonement for sin. He's paid the penalty of death that we deserve. And even though we're sinners, he's given us new life through repentance and faith. We, we do all of this because of what he has first done for us. And this, this includes how we act in our marriages. The call to submission may sound hard on today's ears, but properly understood and followed in Christian marriage, it is, it is not only honoring to our Lord, but it is a good and necessary reaction of those who claim Jesus as Lord. God has designed specific roles in marriage that adorn the gospel and that bring him glory. All right, so, so we've spent a lot of time talking about the role of, of, of the wife this morning, and again, that's because this passage mainly addresses that. Uh, that, that's the main point of the text. But, but we do see in verse 7, Peter speaking to the role of the husband. We see that he is given the high calling of biblical love in marriage. He is given the high calling of biblical love in marriage. So likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right, so thinking through this verse, there are at least three things about biblical love in marriage that we can see from the text. First, men are called by Peter to live with their, lot, with, with their wives in an understanding way. An understanding way. So part of what this means is that we are to love our lives in a way that is informed by the Word of God. We are to understand and have knowledge of how God wants us to behave and how, how God wants us to lead. We are, to, we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Um, I do think it is helpful here to look at a similar passage from Paul to get a, a more complete understanding of what is in view here when he says an understanding way. Uh, in Ephesians 5, he says, uh, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he may present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, he may be holy and without, that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of his body." Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, so, so there's a lot here, right? This could be a whole sermon or two unto itself. Uh, we see that here that the call is on husbands to love their wives in a way that their own life is secondary. We are to love a wife, our wives in a way that we lay down our we would we would lay down our life for her, just as Christ laid down His life for us. So, 
So by way of application to men, if, if, if we are called to uh, love in a way that would lay down our lives, certainly we are called to lay down the remote control or the iPhone or the Xbox controller and serve our wives. Right? I, I'm, I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone at this point. Uh, our life is not our own. Our life is Christ's. It was bought with a price. And therefore, Christian husbands should live with our li- wives in a way, in an understanding way, in a way that is informed by the Word of God, in a way that is imitating Christ and the church. One of the ways we do this is how um, we love our, li- our wives. If you're, if you're not actively denying self, if you're not actively thinking about how you can love and how you can serve your wife, you are not living with her in an understanding and caring way. You're not living in a marriage that's informed by God's word. You are not called to make sure that your wife is submissive. You are called to love her and you are called to care about her. You're called to live in a way that shows that you care more about her than you do about yourself. We do not uh, we do this not out of obligation, but, but out of the overflow of regenerated hearts. And, and in this way, our marriage should be a display of the gospel. Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Uh, he gave the ultimate sacrifice, and as men, we're called to display the same type of love to our wives. It is a picture of the gospel. God designed specific roles in marriage that adorn the gospel and that bring him glory. Men, the primary way that this is true for you is the way that you love your wife. All right, so first, first we're called to love our wives. Second, secondly, in this passage, um, we see that husbands, we are to prop up and protect our wives. We are to prop up and protect our wives. All right, so, so this, was the, this was the stumbling block going into the week, right? The little phrase, weaker vessel here. Uh, what does it mean exactly? Um, in... in, in Again, I'll read the verse. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Um, In my study this week, one thing became abundantly clear. Almost every scholar uh, agrees that this refers to physical strength. All right, so this does not refer to intelligence. This does not refer to value or, or worth or moral inferiority or spiritual weakness. Uh, it is referring to the fact that, in general, men are physically stronger than women. So I, I know there's exceptions, right? I, I know this is, this is a gener- generalization. I, I have no doubt in my mind that Venus Williams could come in here and destroy every one of us on a tennis court. Or I have no doubt in my mind that Ronda Rousey could walk in here and beat down the biggest man in the church. Sorry, Al. But the point remains, it's generally physical difference between men and women. There's a difference between 200 pounds and 130 pounds, right? There, there is this general difference, and, and Peter uh, addresses that here. So as men, you are not to use your physical size to intimidate or to harm your wife in any way. Uh, this, this, this should be the exact opposite, right? This is, this is calling you to be the protector. This is calling you to be the one that that provides some level of physical security in the home. You're the one who steps up and who does the dirty jobs and has no problem sacrificing your own physical well-being for your family. Um, think, thinking through the message this week, I, I kind of let my mind wander a little bit. I began thinking about the characteristics of a man that I want to see in my daughter's future husband. So, uh, of course, right, first and foremost, he needs to love the Lord. Uh, 
And, and the idea of biblical marriage, he, he needs to have the idea of biblical marriage is that of being a servant leader in the home, loving his wife. Um, and then, you know, the other basics, he loves baseball, hates soccer, tigers, Spartans, and, and hunts. But beyond those, like, base level essentials that I'm sure will happen, thinking in part about this, this, this part of the passage, right? I would destroy him if he, if he used his physical size to harm uh, a woman, especially my daughter. Uh, but rather, I want him to be the protector. Uh, that's what we want, right? We want, if there's an intruder, we want him to be the guy that says, let's, let's go, let's roll. Even if that means that it's going to be certain harm to him. Um, the text says we are to show honor to our wives as the physically weaker vessel, and that is a full-orbed command. We are never to use physical dominance to bully our way, to get our way, but we are to positively, sacrificially man up when the time calls. Third, from this passage, we see we are to be spiritual leaders in the home. We are to be spiritual leaders in the home. Notice the end of the verse. We are to love our wives in a godly, biblical, sacrificial way so that your prayers may not be hindered. Christian husbands are to be the spiritual leaders in the home. They are to know and to teach the word. They are to pray for their families and they are to live holy lives. If, if they're not doing this, if, if their heart attitude and actions in marriage are sinful, then, then they will not have a, a rich uh, relationship with the Lord. Their prayers will be hindered. Uh, men, if you're not actively doing these things, if you're not actively loving your wives and denying yourself, then there is no way that you can uh, be faithful to all that God would have of us. We have the tendency toward laziness and spiritual lethargy. This should not be so. We have, we have been gloriously and wonderfully forgiven and regenerated. Jesus has granted us new life in himself, and he has called us to a better way. If uh, the talk on submission is hard on the ears, this should be equally as hard. You are not called to care about yourself. You are to love your Lord, and if you are married, you are called to sacrificially love and serve your wife and be a spiritual leader in the home. Being a spiritual leader is not about sitting back and barking out commands. It's about getting dirty in the hard muck and the hard mire of life in the service to your loved ones and pointing them to the one who gave up his life for us. As I was studying the Word and putting together this message, I, I, I could not help but think of all the ways that I fall short all of the time on all of these callings. I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, you would agree. Uh, if we took a true stock of how we are doing, we, are, uh, we could identify ways that we are failing uh, here. Are, are, are you loving your wives? Are you respecting your husbands? Um, is all of this done with a heart attitude that is pleasing toward God in response to a changed life from the gospel? God is good and gracious and merciful, and he is calling us to a better way. God has designed specific roles in marriage that adorn the gospel and that bring him glory. He has designed the role of the husband so that uh, it is that of sacrificial love and spiritual leadership. And he has designed the role of the wife to be that of biblical submission and a helper to her husband. If this is done rightly, it is a reflection of the gospel. Christ has sacrificially loved the church, and we as the church then submit to this lead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, we love you and we thank you for your word. Lord, we um, see that how you have ordered marriage. We see how 
you would have us to behave. And Lord, we think of all the ways we do fall short, but know that in you we have new life, we have forgiveness, we have uh, a way and a pattern of life that you uh, wish for us to uh, go forward obeying. Father, I pray that we would change um, what we are doing, that we would uh, better reflect you and your word. Lord, give us uh, mercy and grace going forward today. In your name we pray. Amen.